Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 32, European Super League Reaction. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. A big welcome to all our new listeners. Excited for us to talk about Brexit 2.0, a.k.a. the Super League. Boys, Eddie, Sam, let's jump right into it. I know you guys are itching to yell about the Super League. So tell me, what's what's going on? How are you feeling? Well, let's, let's say what it is first, right? Because this has been something materializing over the day. Or last night as well. So um, essentially, uh, 12 clubs with an unknown three uh, have agreed to break away from their respective national leagues. So we've got six from the Premier League, uh, the so-called big six. We can go on to whether Arsenal and Spurs constitute that, but fundamentally we've got Arsenal, Spurs, the Manchester team. So Manchester United, Manchester City. I think we can call them uh, the Chelsea. the historical big six in the Premier League era. Or about the profitable yeah. six, the rich um, six, the rich, the rich six, six is is, is fair <laughs> the too. The sinister six for all our uh, comic six. book fans. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the big five. Throwing Spurs in there in some ways is they're they're probably the least acceptable in some respects, just because you are talking about it. they're the only one of the lot who've never won it. So that already makes them a little bit different. And then in yeah. addition to that, like they've had plenty of seasons where they've been mid-table, even slightly bottom half. Whereas, yes, over the course of the last 20 years, the other five have consistently been top six sides. Yeah, but they have a new stadium yeah. with a brewery in it, Eddie. Exactly. The that doesn't bar, qualify you for the top six. I don't know what you, does. You can't have the be you can't have the European Super League without the longest bar in London. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just has to be how has novel. To be there. Yeah. So we've got the six teams there. So we've got the big six from uh, from the Premier League, which represents over twenty five percent of the league. Just to give you an idea of that. Uh, then you've got three from Spain, which are the big two. So um, Barcelona and Real Madrid. And then you've got Atletico Madrid as a uh, as the third, and then you have three from Serie A in Italy. So you've got Juventus and the Milan's, so Inter Milan and AC Milan. And the idea is that they would all break away to form their own European Super League. So we don't know three teams, but there would be another five that would essentially make up a twenty team. Yeah, another league. eight and another eight in total. Yeah. The additional so, three would be founders, which would mean that they are they're locked in. There's no promotion or relegation for those 15. And the remaining five spots would be uh, sort of given to teams that were performing well in domestic competitions, or that seems to be the case. Although that might not be even possible given the fact that they might not be eligible to do that. But that's the, that seems to be the plan that they have in mind. And, I, and it's fair to assume that the the remaining three are uh, Dortmund, Bayern, and uh, no PSG. Ah, so, uh, so interestingly, not. It's almost impossible to imagine it being any German club because of the fact that we've touched up, we've spoken about it right in previous episodes. But Germany has a requirement that fifty one percent of the club is owned by the fans, 
And so with that being the case, mm. it's impossible to imagine 50, like an, a fan backed club opting for this. So Bayern and Dortmund seem tremendously unlikely uh, or any German club for that matter. It would just be stunning for either one of them to join. Um, in, in some respects, the European Super League must have been hoping that somehow they could have swayed them because, because of that fan requirement, it would have kind of given a fan endorsement to the league, which otherwise they are never going to get. Now, PSG have openly come out and said that they are not part of this, and the French League as a whole has come out and said that they will not be taking part in the European Super League, which I think is a little bit of a pointless statement because aside from PSG, <laughs> no one else was going to get invited. It would, it would be like me coming out and saying, guess what? My Sunday, my Sunday league team will not be participating in the European <laughs> Super League. We didn't need to hear about it. But I think, and people have rushed to give, to turn PSG into kind of these heroes. And they're surprised because it's like, well, PSG are this plastic team, you know, you know, lined with gold. All they care about is money. So isn't it incredible that the team that everyone has criticized for just being motivated by winning things and making money has turned its back on the prospect of being in the European Super League and has a heart and wants to keep do what its fans wants and wants to maintain the heritage of European football. Now, not to be cynical, but there's another reason why PSG might currently not be interested in taking part in the European Super League. And that is because PSG is owned by Qataris. Qatar is hosting the 2022 FIFA World Cup. So the possibility, now that, could, that World Cup is also getting under high scrutiny for the death rate of people building the stadiums, the human rights violations in the country, all sorts of things. If PSG were then to piss off UEFA and piss off FIFA and become part of the European Super League, you would then put the owners in the bad books of FIFA when they really need to be in the good books of FIFA for the next few months at least. So to be a cynic, I would not rule out, unlike I would categorically rule out Bayern joining this Super League at any point. PSG, mm -hmm. I think, will sit tight. And if in 2023, this European Super League is a thing, I think you'll find PSG joining it. But for now, they'll want to be the good boys in, in FIFA's books. I hadn't seen it that way. I kind of like that angle. It's quite an interesting one. But uh, did you see like all of the stocks in these clubs was kind of like increasing and the values were increasing, but Leon slumped. <laughs> On and a lot of people were like, "Is it slumping because a rumor has come out about it, and they know how negative the reaction? Like, is Leon one of them? But now it doesn't sound like it is, which kind of got me thinking. I mean, there's there's the big leagues, right? So we've gone through the big leagues. Who are the three? Because Ajax seem very against it. Uh, they even hosted the emergency meeting of these clubs. So really, you're looking at what, like Salzburg maybe, because they're owned by Red Bull. So potentially there's a lucrative there. But then you're really looking at Portugal. So like Lisbon, Benfica, Porto, or you're looking at kind of lower down the Spanish and Italian leagues, like Valencia, Sevilla, Napoli. Uh, but other than that, it can't or, I feel like anymore. I, I feel like it has to be not the leagues that were already announced, because why would they announce half of the teams in the league, but not the other? That seems strange. Like, why would they not announce Napoli? but announce because, Juventus and the rest. Well, uh, 
Well, there's a possibility. So that the, in terms of timing, right, uh, you, you, UEFA was approving a reformed Champions League today. So there's a possibility that the European the teams involved in the European Super League might have felt they had to make this announcement before signing off on, because fundamentally their complaints are that they don't like the format of the Champions League. And the goal is, in their mind, for this to just replace European football. Now, it may end up replacing all of their football and that they have to leave domestic leagues. But ideally they want this to be the midweek European competition that runs throughout the season and they don't take part in the champions league anymore. Now they look bad already because a number of, and obviously UEFA and the president of UEFA has come out. I mean, the, pre the president of UEFA came out and said that he was a criminal lawyer before getting involved in football. And he has never seen bigger criminals than Snakes. the, Snakes, he called them. <laughs> yeah. Then the uh, he was the president of uh, Juventus and uh, the chief executive of Manchester United were the two he singled out, in part because Manchester United had just given them feedback uh, in relation to the reforms. So he claims, like on Friday, I think, gave them gave him feedback and said that he that they were really liked all of the reforms that have been made to the Champions League, and then similarly, you've had the president of Juventus, who's been negotiating on behalf of all of the teams in Europe to, f to work out these reforms. So you can kind of understand where he's coming from, but the possibility might be that these, these teams felt that they would have looked even worse had they signed off on these changes and then said, actually, you know, those changes we agreed to, they, they weren't good enough. And now we need to form a super league. So, and, and maybe some of the teams say, if it is Napoli or Sevilla or Valencia, maybe they did want to see what the reaction is and what the permutations are. So perhaps a couple of teams said, we don't want to be there when this sort of yeah, storm kicks fan. off, essentially. <laughs> but maybe if you can, if you guys can survive it, we'll join in. And now if I was going to be, I don't think this is at all the case, but if you were going to be even more cynical, the whole concept behind this, right, is moving to an American model with no relegation, no promotion. And in part, a big driver supposedly is the American owners in the Premier League who can't understand why on earth there is relegation in the first place. They don't get it. Still don't get it, even though some of them have owned English teams for now. I mean, the Glazers, it's two decades, right? Early, um, early noughties. Yeah, yeah. Early noughties. <laughs> early Stop. noughties. Stop. We, we eliminated... <laughs> we just lost all our youth. We just lost all of our <laughs> listeners. But Early 2000s. Could you totally rule out the idea that they think yes. Yes. we've what? Yeah, no, no MLS. It's not the MLS. No, 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 no. Oh. That they <laughs> say, say, what's the idea? <laughs> they think we're forming this new European Super League. We have seven spots available, and we're going to sell those off as seven franchises. And people can come to us with bids and create new teams. So if you want to create the you know, Birmingham Blue Jets. And you think you can Ooh. like, you know, you can put together a package and you can buy the land, build a stadium, put it all together. Then, yeah. and you pay us a, like it would work in an expansion team in the US, you pay us the fee to join the league and, and you're in. Like, and yeah. I don't think that's the plan, but would it stun me if that is what happened? I would do say you remember no. the. Do you remember the complete uproar when Wimbledon moved to Milton Keynes? 
like the most one of the most simple moves ever but it was the the uproar was insane but what's funny about you just said about the franchise model uh leeds so leeds just held liverpool to a one-all draw and their tweet was uh Liverpool, um, sorry, Leeds United Football Club holds Super League side Merseyside Reds to a one-all draw, and it's like it. it but that's a that's a really fair point about it because going away from kind of the descriptive side of things, they are that they're, they're thinking of like essentially they're going to get banned, right? UEFA, all of the national leagues have said you are out of our structure, so they would just become lawless clubs. Maybe, like maybe, maybe. Let's, I'm I, the rhetoric at the moment is that they would. Yeah. So wait, yeah. It's, I kind of wanted to go back to the basics a little bit to, because I mean, obviously, you guys know a lot more about the inner workings of all this. As Americans, I think. See, this is what's very confusing. I think as an American idea is the whole part of how you have this central organization that is basically funding from the grassroots up. Whereas in the American system, it's like the universities and other things are kind of the developing stages, whereas that doesn't really exist in the European, at least for for football. So I guess the question I have is you read everywhere that if they join the Super League, they're then out of the domestic matches and all of that. Possibly. But that would just be because UEFA and FIFA would rule them ineligible. But if, if they were to eventually back down, Mm-hmm. then they would still be able to play in the domestic and this would technically just replace the champions league is, is kind of that's what they want ultimately but what they want right there, there's three decision makers in this as to what the punishment or repercussions of this will be so you have fifa on the global scale the threat that fifa have put there is that the players on these teams will not be eligible for fifa competitions that's the thing that fifa can do that's like that's very crazy big. that FIFA can do that. I don't understand how they can because it's a, a FIFA competition. But it's a FIFA it's like, competition. It, it's like, like saying but, it's but like also, saying if they it's like in the U.S. if if NCAA was like, well, oh, Kentucky now is playing professional baseball. Sorry, Kentucky players are no longer eligible to play in the in the NCAA tournament. Like it's the same idea. But the um, well, I guess the issue I guess I'm having is what is different between being in a Super League versus Champions League? Because well, so. Okay, it's not so like a professional. One is, a, level, one, is a, right? one is illegal. I'll run. I'll run <laughs> That's through what I mean. the. Okay. I'll run through <laughs> the people who can punish them, and then reasons why they might. So those okay. FIFA. FIFA have the least incentive to punish fundamentally because this European Super League doesn't change too much for FIFA. Now UEFA is the second tier, so that's the European footballing body. Now UEFA has the most to lose out of all of this. So FIFA has the least, UEFA has the most. And that's because this fundamentally kills the Champions League as a concept and the Europa League. They can still organize a new European competition, but the idea of it being, you know, the champions of Europe or the best teams in Europe playing against each other, that goes out the window. So UEFA has the most to lose. So the two things that UEFA can do then is ban all of these teams from participating in UEFA competitions and similarly ban the players from participating from playing in UEFA competitions. So for example, they could say that any of the players playing in the European Super League cannot play in the Euros. That's, that's their move. They have the most reason to do it because this fundamentally, it castrates UEFA as a body. Like they are just 
pointless. Now, yeah. the reason why FIFA then might want to step in to help UEFA is that obviously UEFA is one of the re, you know continental regional governing bodies that under the umbrella of FIFA. And if FIFA lets UEFA get have the kind of legs swept out from underneath them, then all of the other governing bodies are going to think, gosh, if something happens on our continent, FIFA is not going to back us up either. And so what you could theoretically then have, have people happen is go, well, what's the point of FIFA? And then you could have people start challenging it on an even bigger, you know, like why wouldn't then England go, well, we'll just form, we've spoken to France, Italy, and Spain and screw the World Cup. We want to be in it every four years. And just every summer now we're going to have an international tournament. And what's the point of FIFA? We can just make more money just for ourselves. Why are we giving money to Liechtenstein? You know, like Ooh, six so, nations football. Exactly. So th that's the fear is, and always within sport, right? It's so kind where, of an wait, emperor. So where does the domestic clubs come in? To, the domestic play come in? Right. So then you have the domestic clubs, the, 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 the domestic leagues. They yeah. are the next people who can have a punishment. And so their punishment is either at the ones that are being discussed, either, either points deductions, uh, suspensions, or the idea of completely kicking them out of the leagues altogether. The reasons for them for doing so is because as part of the proposal, it seems the idea would be that these European super leagues are going to treat the domestic leagues as a secondary competition. Because obviously if, you know, Manchester City are playing Barcelona on Wednesday and they're playing Stoke on Saturday, well, Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling and all of them are going to play against Barcelona on Wednesday and Stoke on Saturday is going to be all the young players and reserves and youth players. So you're going to weaken the domestic league. And then also it just creates this system in which all of these clubs would be making even more money. So theoretically they'll dominate the domestic leagues even more than they already do. And then they'll be dominating in a way that's not even accessible to the other teams in that league. At least at the moment you can turn around to a club and say, look, Manchester City get all this money from the Champions League. But if you can get into the top four, you get that money too. So, you know, like West Ham this season and Leicester this season, they have the possibility of earning that money and then thinking, well, if we can do it for a couple of years, we can become the next Chelsea, the next Arsenal, the next whatever. Yeah. But if they're put into a league that has no promotion and no relegation and they're guaranteed all this sum of money, then there's no way to challenge them. So not only do you have this... European league that will have no promotion and relegation, you kind of cement all of them as being the best teams in their domestic leagues in the, at the same time. Now, now that was my other question then is, is there a connection between UEFA and these domestic organizations where, so let's say champions league generates X amount of revenue. I'm assuming there's a percentage that goes to the teams that are playing in those champions leagues, but then does a percentage also go back to the entire league like the entire premier league do do they split up some amount of that money amongst the 20 clubs i don't think so i don't I, the the inner workings of some of those deals no i mean you know how much money the individual teams make i don't know how now the uefa the money that uefa makes they recircle you know they recycle through all of their member states to like go down to grassroots football and all of that so okay. the argument is the champions league makes a ton of money and then amateur football in England benefits from it in addition to Manchester City benefiting from it. And that's part of the problem here, right? So I think at the moment, if you win the Champions League, you make 110 million pounds. I think that's how much you make. 
And then winning the Premier League, I think you make 150 million pounds. And the idea of this new league is that each of the founding members is going to be guaranteed 350 million pounds. So even if they get kicked out of, they're obviously don't care about the Champions League, but even if they get kicked out of the domestic leagues, they will be making whatever, you know, 100 million, 100 million pounds more a year without even having to perform well. So from a financial aspect, it makes sense because of that. Now, the concern there was, and the immediate reaction for people was, well, like the money in the Premier League works its way down through the football league structure, through all the leagues underneath it, and then also to amateur football. And the response from the European Super League is that they are going to make annual uh, solidarity payments of 434. as well isn't it? But, it's meant to be technically uncapped. Technically like, uncapped. Limitless but, amounts of money. But they're committing to 434 million euros in solidarity, annual solidarity payments, which is a fraction of what the current trickle down of the those leagues is. And there, was, there wasn't a timeline on that, if I remember correctly, right? Didn't it just say like, they'll do it, yeah. but they're not they're just committing to an amount life. of money. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, just and for keep some in, amount of time, maybe. And keep in mind relying on the generosity of big teams in Europe, that when we'd just gone through a pandemic in which it took weeks of negotiation and kind of public uproar to get the Premier League to commit to giving 30 million pounds to League One and League Two to keep those teams afloat potentially. So one and a half million pounds each per club. That took tremendous pressure and tons of negotiation. So the idea that we're going to trust then these big teams to rely on their generosity to support teams that they have no real interest. What do, if you're in the European Super League, why on earth would Manchester City care whether or not Macclesfield are still playing fixtures on a Saturday? They know they're not going to get any player from there. They know they don't care. Like there's no, there's no incentive for them anymore. Yeah. And then there's barely one interesting about Man City. Man City are the interesting one out of all of these, right? Because all of these clubs have been in the top tiers for a long period of time. Whereas Man City, 20 years ago, were playing Torquay United. <laughs> like they're in the lower leagues against like Blackpool, Torquay. Um, I think it was like 1999, like Paul Dickov scored a goal in this playoff to beat Sunderland to kind of get up well, they, to like they were- higher levels of football. They have been through exactly what clubs receive in terms of those payments that trickle down from the higher leagues, relying on that grassroots developmental money to come through. And now, now they're at the top because they've just had rich beneficiaries inject shit tons of money into them. Suddenly they're just willing to like, no, completely, completely forgetting about that. Don't care. It's about taking the next step up now. I think Man uh, Man City's story feels a little bit more annoying than the rest for that reason. Oh, really? Oh, not at all for me. The worst for me is Liverpool, by far. Okay. And for the reasons we've touched on whenever we've spoken about how I've been annoyed by Liverpool's success, part of the reason that it annoys me is the supporters. And the supporters talk about how Liverpool is just a different thing, a different, like being a supporter of Liverpool is is different to being a supporter of any other club in England, possibly any other club in the world. Their whole moniker, right, is you'll never walk alone. It's a family. It's everything. And so to now turn around and go like, wow, we just need to make money. Barcelona, what's, what do they have written across their seats in the new Camp? More than a club. Money. 
And now, yeah, now it can just be big Euro signs everywhere. Tax fraud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, Eddie, see, I, I think you're being a little unfair to the Liverpool supporters because you're, oh, wait, you're kind okay. of hitting on big the supporters caveat, yeah. there, but no, they no, don't not, want not, that, right? I'm not being critical of any supporters. Every supporters group of all of these clubs has come out and said how appalled they are, that they feel betrayed, that they don't want it at all. Like universally, no supporters group has come out in favor of this. This is so it's not it's not meant as a dig at the supporters. However, the clubs themselves have lent into like to a certain extent. I don't think Manchester City has ever misled its supporters into thinking, you know, where where we are we're different to the rest of the Premier League. I don't even think Manchester United, since the Glazers have taken charge, they sat through protests and people wearing the green and you know golds stuff like i don't think they've even misled people i think they've kind of given the impression at a certain time like this is a business we want to be good at football but it's a business liverpool have even under the ownership of the fenway group they have lent into this concept that this is more like liverpool is special the, the fans are special everything and they have and like i feel in some ways more sympathetic to the supporters because they've been sold a real bill of goods here by these owners because the owners have tried to have made money off the idea of creating this unique environment and then as soon as they've had the possibility a better offer there well turns out we can make more money from just being a european giant than we can from convincing people that this is so special so let's just be a european giant yeah and also just a throw away that league title that like this, this is one of the biggest problems with the European super league as well. It's just like uh, so much of football has been built on the historical, like fluctuations of like a club's career, right? Liverpool could easily be mid table. Then they waited so long for this premier league title after being so dominant before that in such like uh, kind of like amazing eras of um, football man, man, you, almost to an extent exactly the same they've had this slight exile at the moment for the last like what five six years um but before then absolutely dominant the same with arsenal for like that four-year period between like 97 2001 where they really good again i just think it's all been thrown away like this just resets everything like it devalues everything that's happened before it gives no passion behind all of their successes in the past why would i care anymore they're in a super league uh they play juventus randomly on a wednesday great has no meaning for me i guess for american listeners out there who who are thinking this doesn't sound that bad imagine if the la lakers came out and said you know what we make the most money we're the most valuable team in the nba we make the most money like let's face it everyone wants the lakers to do well no one really cares how the Memphis Grizzlies do. So we want, we're going to put a new requirement in the LA Lakers are always in the Western conference finals. That's it. It would be like, well, why? Cause we're the LA Lakers. We're big. We make a lot of money. Everyone knows who we are. People buy our jerseys in China. Like, and it's like, well, yeah, but the whole point is this is supposed to be a competition, right? Like even if you outspend us, maybe we can beat you, whatever it is. And it's like, no, 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 no. We just want it. They may as well just stop playing football and just become trophy manufacturers and just stick trophies in cabinets at the end of each season. Like that's fundamentally all they want to do and have money in their bank accounts. Like the actual football doesn't matter to them anymore. It's, it's just a means to an end. And that's the sad part about it. And in a way I kind of feel like, you know, I had my little rant about how uh, like uh, comic book movies were ruining movies. 
uh, a few weeks ago and how it's basically just making movies for 13 year olds in China. This is making football for 13 year olds in China. This is making football for 13 year olds playing FIFA and their ultimate team. And for Chinese people who just want, and I'm not like trying to target the Chinese, but like foreign markets of which China is the largest that just want to watch the big players and they don't care about the history. There'll be exceptions of course there, but fundamentally they don't care about watching Millwall play West Ham. They want to watch Manchester city play Barcelona. Barcelona as much as possible. That's another point about it as well, compared to the champions league is those games are rare. And that's what makes them more exciting is the prospect you when we started this podcast last year we were talking about how we would have loved that man city bayern final because that was the game of the two best teams battling it through a competition that they earned the right to the year before to play the center stage in a one-off game that you were going to be fixated on because it was just the two best teams going at it there's no fun in it anymore like <laughs> Arsenal don't Arsenal are only elite because they've got money at the moment. Like let's be realistic here. So therefore, this is all driven by money. Like that's that's what's so sad about it. It couldn't be more of a cash grab if they well, they haven't even tried to hide it, right? It's just a pure cash grab. And from my point, it's pretty fucking depressing seeing Arsenal are a part of it. Like, because I've got the very realistic thing now of my club won't be in the Premier League anymore. And that's pretty depressing. It's pretty depressing for all fans associated with these people because the ESL, ESL, European Super League came out and they said, we have spoken with every stakeholder in the game. But yet all the supporters trusts have come out and said, not heard a single thing from them. The managers, Klopp, uh, just came out against in the Leeds game that they drew. And he was like, I've been against this. And he said it in the most diplomatic way possible, but he was like, I don't like this. The players haven't been able to react, but now they've all of a sudden got to be concerned. So uh, I don't know, just random uh, Harry Kane. Harry Kane all of a sudden is like, I might go into the Euros. What, what's going on now? I might just have my life completely changed because of some random guy making a decision that was purely based on money and greed. Like that yeah. is, I mean, how does that change? Disappointment, this whole thing. For, for, I mean, there's three major, I mean, to speak specifically about players, right? There are three major potential transfers in the European football this summer, which was Kane, Mbappe, and Holland. Dortmund and PSG have to be delighted right now because their hand for keeping those players just got so much stronger. And now, if you're Harry Kane, how does this change who you, where you might go? Do you just stay at Spurs because if they're going to be in the Euro- European Super League, it's kind of same old, same old, no matter where you go? Or do you now think, do I try and move somewhere else so that I can continue? I'm guaranteed to be able to play for England and guaranteed to keep playing in the Premier League because Harry Kane has a chance of becoming the Premier League all-time goal scorer, which that goes out the window. Sam, you must be really depressed because the I, if, if Arsenal had stayed out of this, then there's a possibility <laughs> that they could have been instantly fourth in the premier league that's got to be the really depressing whoa thing. <laughs> whoa we could have <laughs> we could have maybe got back in the champions league <laughs> could have mastermind arsenal should have said yeah yeah we're on board and then at the last minute pulled out and then just come out and then just come out publicly like arsenal would never do this these teams should be kicked out of the kicked out of the premier league instantly yeah. 
I think too, what you guys are saying with the players, I, I think this will really show the true side of the players because on one end you have what you're saying, like playing for your country, playing for your fans and everything. But on the other side, I have to imagine these teams are saying, Hey, listen, you might not get to play in the euros, but guess what? We can double your salary. So instead of you making 30 million a year, you're making 60 a year. How does that sound? And I think you'll really see players who are either going to come out and say, I don't care how much I'm making. This is not right. This is not mm. right to the to the supporters, to the country, to everything I play for. And then I think you're going to see some other people come out and say, oh, yeah, 60 million. That sounds good to me. See you later. I could no, care less 100%. about playing for for right. Lithuania. <laughs> You're 100% right. And and that's the context, right? Like we can be hard on the clubs for wanting to make more money, but the players always want more money. And that's not to blame them. I I always want more to earn more money, right? Like that's but you know, Paul Pogba is currently trying reportedly to negotiate a 500,000 pound a week deal, which I think with his image rights, the total package is 800,000 pounds a week. That's a lot of money. And the club needs to be able to afford it. So you can that's see why do think about so, so he, you can see why if you're Manchester United and you're looking at paying Paul Pogba 800,000 pounds a week, you might think, is this going to become, is that now the standard payment to top players? In which case we need to make more money. So you kind of get that there's pressure on the clubs to be, to make more. And also they've put financial you know, restrictions have been put in place to try and stop teams from overspending. So you do need to be profitable. You do need to, you know, all these, all these other elements that come into it. And Gary Neville, for example, who spoke very passionately on Sky Sports yesterday and who I think most of the time, you know, he's got his finger on the pulse and says sensible things. Um, and he acknowledged that he's made a lot of money and continues to make a lot of money from football. But there is a responsibility there, which you do touch on, which is like, if the players are really against this, if they do care about the integrity of the game, if they do care about the heritage of the sport, then they have to show that in the wage demands that they have, in the way they treat clubs. But if they're just always constantly trying to treat clubs as stepping stones to get to the top level, if they always just want to earn more money, regardless of the financial pressures that are on clubs and on leagues, then you're going to have clubs make decisions for financial reasons so that they can keep those players and get the best players. So if Gary Neville and other former players and other current players want to come out and talk about the greed of the club, there's a responsibility for them also to talk about the greed of the players. And the players aren't, I'm, I'm not trying to, don't want to blame the fans and I don't want to blame the players, but maybe it's a moment of reflection for everyone in football to think, you know, Liverpool fans wanted to win the Premier League. They wanted to sign, sign Virgil van Dijk for 80 million pounds. They want to sign more players this summer for even more money. Maybe at a certain moment it should just go, do you know what? This is ridiculous. And I don't want my club to sign players for ungodly sums of money. I'm just happy for my club to just keep playing football and to watch it every week. And hopefully we win more games than we lose. I like that. That's definitely the super league spin. It's not us guys. The players are forcing us to join to, to oh, join yeah, no, the and, super league guys. Listen, and look, if anyone fans, from the we Europe, don't want to have to do this, but they're forcing us. If anyone from the European super leagues listen to that and thinks, I think this guy could put a positive spin on it for us. I'm available for around 50,000 pounds a week. I will a hundred percent. I love how you're immediately making it more toxic than it could have ever been. It's like, I'll oh, be your will, PR guy. I will spins back you. it in a way I don't agree with, but yeah. I will do it for money. 
I will back I will back you to the hilt. I will retract every statement I've made on this podcast. I will say that I've seen the light and how the European Super League is not only the future of football, it's the future of sport. Other little story to this, right, is Jose Mourinho being relieved of his duties today. Who saw it coming? 2021 is the year of Jose Mourinho, the people's champion. I mean, what a savior. He's always a savior. (laughs) He is, but he's a special (laughs) one. But now he truly is living up to the moniker of the special one. I mean, he's, it's for someone who at different times has been loathed by football supporters, this could really propel him into being, you know, like the person who stood up for the fans. Oh, <laughs> Marino does not. He does not walk alone. <laughs> no. And look, I, I will say this. It doesn't surprise me with Mourinho. Now, I'm not saying it, it might be that this isn't the real story. But if you told me there was one Premier League manager out there who I think would have walked on principle, I think it would have always been Mourinho. Now, oh, you don't think it was because... like Sean Dyke or someone like that? Dyche, you mean? Dyche. <laughs> Just well, tight. <laughs> Sam, how, how do you feel about him, Sam? Um, <laughs> Sean. Now I will I will agree with you. I think his name probably should be Dyke, but then he's 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 gone for the Daish pronunciation. Daishi. Like, like, but um anyway. Now here's the real question, right? Sam, you and I have uh, butted heads at times because I consider you a sports bigamist because you support two teams in the English football leagues in Torquay and Arsenal. Now, your justification previously was always that like, they're never really going to play each other and that you kind of needed a team. Torquay are so far down the football table that you needed a team in the top division. So if you're now boycotting Arsenal, does that mean that you will be selecting a new top division See, team? I, I I don't think I've ever done it. You, you've never, I've grown up with football. I've never consciously gone, I will support that team. Because these have just been there from like the age of what I remember. But you have done it for other sports. I have done it for other sports. So for baseball at Toronto Blue Jays, you did it last year. You Phoenix Suns. You've got a strong affinity. Wait, wait, you're a Suns fan now? Yeah, you just picked them to win the West. Now you're a Suns fan. And he's a Cincinnati Bengals fan. And I'm a Bengals fan. Just because he thinks the QB is sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm allowed my reasons, (laughs) but you know, like. We could do like a tombola of the remaining clubs and Ooh. then I just pick one out. No, I can't yeah, do that. Yeah, but you that need a reason. Be, you need a you need reason. A you've reason. always, had a, you you've always a... had a reason. Yeah, the only thing I want to bring uh, go back to is the uh, UEFA president when he was talking about the Juventus, I guess, chairperson or whatever. A president, His, I think. Pres- yeah. Was it a president? Agnelli. Yeah, I think, it I think it's the president of Juventus, yeah. Okay. His, his quote is, is so good. I figure we have to just read it just to break it down a little. Agnelli is probably the biggest disappointment of all. I don't want to be too personal, but I have never seen a person who lied so many times as persistently as he did. I spoke to him on Saturday and he said, these were only rumors, nothing going on. Then he turned off the phone. (laughs) Greediness is so strong that all the human values evaporate. It's always good to know in life. Who is who? I mean, that is a roast if I've ever heard a roast. From the head of UEFA. Like, for, like well, this, yeah. is a, this, this is some guy that's meant that's to Donald be Trump quite level. preserved. <laughs> like this. 
Yeah. Well, if you want to see also someone who's roasted, Patrick Bamford, the leads forward, in his post-match interview said, it's amazing the amount of opera that comes into the game when somebody's pockets are getting hurt. It's a shame that it's not like that with racism. And it's an interesting twist to right to Amen. see how wow. see how much action these clubs will take to make themselves more money, but how inactive they are when it comes to actually like stamping out real issues within the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day from now on is just going to be a giant roller coaster, right? Yeah. New information arguments left right and center because this goes beyond football now you've got governments involved you've got political bodies involved and to quote one final statement which i think is a pretty good one is the official statement of uh, uh borussia mönchengladbach and their statement is this super league is a club for the super rich for, who are flouting the long established structure of football it's an attack on uefa's club competitions but above all on the domestic leagues it is cynical and hypocritical to claim that this move is for the good of football and is what football fans want, as though as those behind the league are doing. We can be proud that all all that of that all of the German clubs have opposed this league, and we will fight to ensure that those clubs involved are expelled from all competitions, both domestically and internationally. But on a uh, happier note, whilst football might be about to totally change. Sam, you did have a taste of football normality, I guess, at the weekend, as you were one of the chosen few who got to attend the FA Cup semi-final. <laughs> I know. I was I, I went to go see what are going to be two of the elite clubs in the Premier League, Leicester and Southampton. And if that's the case, based on that showing, we're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> because that yeah. was all for that. <laughs> so I there were it was all really well organized. All the, the COVID stuff was easy to do. And I sat in like the Club Wembley area where it costs a, a lot of money to be in. Like, I think just to have membership there for a year, it's like three grand. Then was you that just randomly tickets. because like that just happened? No, so they had, so they had um, most, almost all the stadium was open except where you saw the, um, the flags where they had it. But the two ends were like you got to choose whether you were like a Leicester or Southampton fan or a neutral fan. So obviously Leicester fans were in the Leicester side, Southampton, Southampton. But then the where I was, which is like that second tier, um, was where the neutrals were. So I was where you like most have, fans were. You should have lied, infiltrated one of the groups, kicked off and brought hooliganism back into like, had that <laughs> just as ripping a chair off and started yeah, just it. smacking the seven other yeah. Leicester fans it, in attendance. It was great for it to be back, and uh, the, but to give you an idea of how bad the game was, the biggest applause was when the announcer said, thank you for everyone for being here as part of the government pilot. <laughs> like, At what stage did he say that? Uh, the 75th minute or the 80th okay, minute, the, somewhere around. Sorry, when, they would the normally, when they would normally no, announce no, no, the like attendance. Yeah. When they would normally make the today's attendance yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Sam, so, give me the breakdown. Did were you allowed to were like were they serving food, drinks? Were yep. you allowed to get up and walk around? Like it was as if you were at a normal match, basically. Yep. 100 percent So same price. Things were open. So, what is food wise? Yeah. Yep. Yep. A so beer still, still costs a... six quid. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was and, gross. And how did, did they, they give stop you a, you... a voucher? <laughs> how did they stop you from going to sit somewhere you weren't supposed to? Um, 
so you were checked and taken to the seat but then they also had these like covid marshals essentially kind of watching people because even if you were say if there was like three of you you would still have a seat between you okay and so did you see were, anyone get told off yes quite a lot because for, people would like for pull groups down their masks. and then they would okay yeah they would come together people would pull down their masks People would be drinking, but they would be, so they'd have like a bottle of Coke. This guy had a bottle of Coke and he nursed it for about 70 minutes without his mask on. So someone just walked up to him like, you're being ridiculous. Like you're here. There's a pandemic going on. And this is a government pilot to assess people going back to stadia. And you're just there like, oh, I don't care. I don't give a shit kind of thing. But you're outdoors and you're at least six feet from any other person though, right? You had to wear your mask at all times. So I guess, I guess the argument would be they're using the pilot scheme to test how well will people follow instructions and regulations yep. when they go back. So it's like Everything. if we can't, if we can't have seven thousand people go into an eighty thousand seater stadium and behave themselves, how on earth can we have ten thousand in a thirty thousand or whatever? You know? Yeah. See, now that's, that's where that's you're it. wrong, Eddie, because the first match they actually told them they don't need to wear a mask. So the test is to see how bad does it spread from wearing masks versus not wearing masks. Sam just well, got lucky. He got the mask group. <laughs> it was it was good. Uh, but the good news is um, I just found out that I was successful to get tickets for Spurs Man City on Sunday. So I'm going to watch two you should boycott. European, which I should boycott. No. But I'm boycotting. No, no, Arsenal. no, no, not should. <laughs> He is boycotting the Super Shall League. I, it's already been on statement. So if yeah, that's I'm not Super boycotting League, the. I want Carabao you to stand Cup. outside the of Wembley and burn your ticket. It's on my phone, so that might be. A you burn. set fire to your phone. Sorry, there's there's no other option here. I know you're trying I, to. I'm sell sorry, an officer. Old. It's not burning. It's not. You're trying to sell an old phone. Just set that one on fire. Is it the I, same amount of people? Different. Uh, double this time, so it's eight thousand. Whoa! Wow! wow. So, now, wow. Frank, Frank, and I, and we kind of alluded to this last week, but attending a sporting event by yourself often better on paper than it is in reality. And I would say the only thing that usually can save it is if people around you are interesting. Like you can befriend other groups and interact and like have some conversations going. Obviously, in this context, that must have been impossible. Like, did you did you speak to talking. anyone else? No, the, to, there was quite to a few random people, people. Yep, like shouting from. Do you know? Do you know the funniest thing? They were just talking oh, about what? Arsenal. <laughs> like, oh wow! They were just talking about like Arsenal because they're a big club, or yeah, because the big team, big team, such a big club that even um, when people go to watch other teams, that's all they talk about. The problem was because the game was shit as well. There was a lot of people where it's like, I didn't pay to be here, so they kind of just switched off a little bit from the game. How um, how early did people start leaving? No one left early. Okay. Because I guess no one had to worry about, you know, waiting a Wembley whilst 90,000 people got out. <laughs> but there were still some people where it's like the second that whistle blow, they ran. <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good to be a part of it, I guess. It was nice to, you know, so you see don't re- that another step you didn't, of normality. It wasn't like the 60th minute and you thought, I regret coming. It started to get cold and there was a bit like at the 70th minute where Southampton clearly weren't pressing and doing anything dangerous. Leicester were just seeing this out. I was like, this has been a struggle. <laughs> like a free ticket at Wembley for an FA Cup semi-final. And I'm still uh, like, Oof, this has been this has been tough. 
but oh, it was good to be a part of right it was um you know hopefully whatever they learned or whatever they've done as a result of the data they got can help because i guess it's for stadium everywhere so i guess lower league clubs where they really need fans back in you know if that in any way can help them then great now here's another question for you would you rather attend a european super league match or watch jake paul fight anthony joshua it would be great to just watch jake paul just be beaten to by but what if, but what if he what if he won this is this is i agree with you him getting in the ring with someone who could legitimately either one of the paul brothers getting in the ring with someone who could legitimately possibly kill them not that i actually want them to die but just like a, watching aka an actual boxer watching them get <laughs> yeah that'll be a star right <laughs> watching them just get like absolutely destroyed would be satisfying but just imagine they won just like imagine one lucky punch just sucker I mean, punches him and joshua lost to reese right like it happens you don't take it seriously you don't train in quite the same way you don't prepare you're mentally not as switched on on the day whereas the other guy this is the biggest fight of his life yeah. it's uh, one lucky punch something happens it, it could it could happen but i guess no, i gotta take the chance i don't know i, I gotta take the chance to see him getting beaten shit <laughs> so yeah. i'm gonna take the boxing frank did you watch the watch the fight I, I, I say use the term, seconds of it. I use the term fight kind of loosely, but yeah, it was pathetic. I, I mean, uh, I'll give him the credit that at least this person was a trained fighter in quotation marks. However, the major caveat is that Ben Askren is a wrestler. He was a phenomenal wrestler. He did not make it to UFC because of his punches and his boxing ability. Having said that, he still was a top-level fighter at some point in his life, and that at least bumps Jake Paul up to the respectable level of you're not boxing YouTube celebrities. These are actually people who train. But for anyone who watched that match, Ben Askren looked like I, I don't even like I can't even describe how poorly he looked in physical shape and in yeah. just like his his mental like he didn't it didn't seem like he cared at all or wanted to be there. I mean he made that statement, you know, like to bump it up the day before, but it seemed like they said, Hey, we're gonna cut you a nice check, get in the ring. We don't care what you look like, we don't care what you do. You wanna fall down the first the first punch and stay down? Fine by us. And that looks Which like he, he, I mean, he retired straight after as well. He retired straight after as well. So clearly he uh, just went into the ring. I mean, he retired six paycheck, years ago. <laughs> but retired <laughs> again, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, he had nothing in the same way that I've retired from professional boxing. Um, like, yeah, he, I mean, he looked in terrible shape. That's, that surprised me because you would just think you'd have a bit of pride as a like former professional athlete that you would have been like, come on, like I'm going to go out there looking good. It, he, I think the challenge, right, when you switch between different combat sports, it's like judging the distance and knowing when you're safe and also knowing the kind of spacing that you have between you and another combatant. And that's different for every different variety, right? Because like someone can only punch you if they can kick you, if they can grapple with you, if they can take you to the ground, like that changes everything. All he seemed interested in doing was basically like clenching, which in part 
was maybe because he's a wrestler. So like when he gets in close, the temptation there is just to grab. And then in part two, because he was just out of his depth. And so it's like, I maybe scared. And so like, I don't want to throw, I don't, I can't really throw punches and I definitely don't want to take punches. So I'm just going to grab onto you, but it was a pretty pathetic performance. And it's just, I can understand why no legitimate boxer is going to fight them because they'd be like, why would I like, why would I just fight a YouTuber who like has admittedly spent some time obviously training? Like he's not horrific, right? Like they know what they're doing. They're in good shape and stuff, but I can get why, but I do wish someone would just fight them and shut them up. Like my fear is like Conor McGregor does it. And Conor McGregor, although he was, yeah. (laughs) Although Conor McGregor was like a golden glove boxer as a teenager, like, he hasn't competitively boxed Mayweather aside in like 20 years. So I'd also then fear that it's just, he also gets beaten. And then it starts to kind of legitimize them as being like, Oh, well, we beat a real boxer. How, how surprised would you be if you learned that that fight was fixed? Uh, on a scale of zero to a hundred with a hundred being, genuinely surprised and zero being not surprised at all i'd be negative 100 <laughs> i mean the only the, the only part that makes me think it wasn't fixed was how terrible he looked to begin with that maybe yeah. he was just so badly out of shape that he did but but the fact that he went down so quickly and seemed fine but stayed down a little longer than like if he had any self-respect and didn't want to lose that match if Jake Paul knocks you down, you instantly pop back up. He's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just slipped. I just slipped. Nothing wrong. He stayed down, seemed comfortable, slowly got up, and then the ref calls it. Like, you can't tell me that that ref wasn't out to call that match as quickly as possible for Jake Paul. He did He did look a little wobbly. So I will give... I think he's just drunk. The ref <laughs> did give him... The ref did call it a little bit quickly. Like, one knockdown, and the guy did get back up. And I think it's a required eight count in that. So like he seemed okay after the eight count. Um, And yeah, you're right. Like Nate Robinson, he got destroyed in his fight, but he got knocked out, like knocked down hard once and still got back up and then got completely knocked out cold. But he at least had the decency to like, he should have quit when he got knocked down the first time, but then actually got back up. I will say I found Snoop Dogg commentating on boxing charming the first time, <laughs> fucking annoying the second time. <laughs> like the novelty charming. factor. The first time around, it was like, he was kind of funny. And like uh, like with the Nate Robinson thing, when he was kind of like felt sorry for Nate Robinson, he was like, oh, good Lord. Like when he was getting like hit and stuff, that was, that was at least kind of amusing. This time around when he's just screaming about how he supposedly bet $2 million on Jake Paul to win, like that was just annoying. I saw and bias commentary as well. That's always that's, good. Yeah, it's not also ideal. And then you just randomly have Pete Davidson there. And even Pete Davidson was like, I don't know why I'm here. I do not like Pete Davidson at all. So that was, I also, was everything you saw with Pete Davidson, the only thing I give him credit for is he was kind of like, I don't know why I'm here, but thanks for inviting me. And obviously I guess paying him. And then also he went into Jake Paul's like locker room before the fight 
And Pete Davidson was like, I'm surprised you like have us here. Like if I was about to fight, like this is exactly what I wouldn't want to do before I was fighting is have some guys come into my locker room and interview me minutes before for a YouTube thing. And Jake Paul was like, no, it's, it's cool. He was like, okay, uh, I've got some stupid questions. Like what's your favorite food? <laughs> and it was just, <laughs> wow. there was a moment where it's like Pete Davidson at least seemed semi-aware of the fact of how stupid it all was, but obviously I'm sure he got a nice paycheck. Why would you, you know, like if they wanted us to do a podcast about that next fight, I'll absolutely do it for the $500,000 they'd give us for no reason to do a podcast about their fight. Um, but I yeah. don't, who's paying to watch this? This is what I really want to know. That's literally what I was just going to say. I, I was going to say exactly everything I've read about people who have watched, watched that fight, the thriller card or whatever, hated it. You know, this is so annoying. It's so stupid. Like, I can't stand how annoyed I am at watching this. But yet there are millions of people oh. that are paying to watch this. Yeah, it's silent majority, isn't it? Kind of thing. You know, there are people paying to watch it. But, you know, you're going to see the minorities are the ones that are shouting loudest in terms of like the Reddit feeds and stuff like that. I just think it's a joke. I think it actually makes boxing look like a joke. The fact that just some random people can turn up into a ring and do this, I, I think it kind of turns it into a bit of a joke. Never been a huge fan of boxing, never really cared for it that much, but this just makes it comical. I opinion. like boxing and I like when boxing has the big nights. I love it. Like I'm not someone who's going to be watching Friday night like like fights or Saturday night. I'm not like getting up for it, but when there's a big fight, I love it. Like I love the prospect of watching Fury fight Joshua. Like I think that will be great. Like I'll get into the spectacle beforehand. I will want to watch the fight. You could convince me to pay for the fight, even though, you know, I don't really buy pay-per-view anything, but you could convince me to do that. Right. But, Oh, don't you? No, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've stayed up regularly till like five, six, seven in the morning to watch big fights. Like it's not, I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I know who's watching it. It's big Jake Paul fans, but like, how on earth are there enough of them willing to pay money to watch him fight to make this make financial sense? And like, if my son, imagine I had like a 13 year old son, who was like the biggest Jake Paul fan in the world. And then he'd watched Jake Paul fight and got, got into boxing because of it. Then my, I would be desperately trying to spin him into like, okay, you enjoyed that as like an introductory fight to boxing. Like now let's, now let's watch some like real pros. So no, this Saturday, instead of watching the Jake Ball fight, let's watch this other, like let's watch the next Joshua fight. Let's watch the next Tyson Fury fight. You know, that's the bit, like as a parent, I'd be like, okay, this this has got you interested. Now let's give you the real thing. Instead it's like, okay, son, I'll pay another $89 for you to watch some random YouTuber beat some guy who desperately wants a paycheck. Is that how much it was? And Snoop Dogg just I have, yelling, I have, yelling I have no the idea how entire much it was, time. But I, have no idea. I threw that number out there, but let's put it this way. It was it's, something like that, I think. Yeah, it's not going to be. It's going to be $5, right? $50. For the Jake Paul versus Ben For two minutes. Oh, did you get the card? You got the card, I'm assuming. You got that wonderful card. 
yeah, you got the full card. And I guess unlimited re- replays, even though it was almost instantly on YouTube and it was on Twitter. <laughs> like I, I watched the entire fight moments after it happened on Twitter. <laughs> like that was, there was no need to pay for anything. It was like, okay, I've, I've seen it now. I've seen what's happened. And in part, that's the thing that would go even, like actually if you're Jake Paul, like, yeah, it's great to destroy people. And I guess it semi-legitimizes you as a boxer. But like, if you want to keep selling pay-per-view tickets, you actually need longer fights. Like someone's like you made people pay a dollar a second to watch you fight just now. Like yeah. people are not paying that to watch top boxers fight. What I would love is, is I think, and I guess they would never fight them. I'd love it if just like Mike Tyson was like, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm getting in a ring with you. <laughs> oh, he <laughs> might. I mean, he needs the money. Yeah. But I also think he's like accepted his like position in life now. And also part of me, like he kind of does love boxing. He might see it as like a joke, like that he's really turning himself into like the the retired fighter who's fighting YouTubers. Like it's a little bit like joining the circus, right? Like it's kind of sad, but, and I, I would, I'll put it this way. If it was, if they did, and if I, I mean, if Tyson did it, I think he would take it seriously. Like I can't imagine Tyson going easy on anyone. And if one of them legitimately got in a ring with him, I would then have respect for them. Even if he did instantly demolish them, I would then go, do you know what? Even if he is 50, whatever he is now, I'd still be like, okay, you got some balls. Like that actually took balls. Well, I think on one of the next Triller cards, you'll have Evander Holyfield. He'll be fighting. Wait, is that a joke? No, Evander Holyfield is fighting. So let me get this correct. Evander Holyfield is fighting one of the people that beat Mike Tyson in his prime. Uh, right here, right now. <laughs> Evander Holyfield. Yep. And that's quite a good one. The real you deal, Holyfield. So t- Holyfield was supposed to, there was talks of him fighting Tyson because Tyson fought uh, what Roy Jones Jr., right? In that exhibition oh, yeah. match. And then Holyfield wanted to fight Tyson. And there were substantial talks to have them, I think, fight this year. And then I don't think Tyson's camp ever came wow. to an agreement. So now Holyfield is instead I, fighting the other guy. Well, I mean, we are a Muddy Ducks podcast, and I'm sure there's many people tuning in right now that want us to hear us discuss all things Ducks related, but we will be holding off till next episode so we can really get into it. Maybe we start going scene by scene breakdowns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Some of the oh, feedback no. that we've had <laughs> yeah. has maybe not encouraged more detailed analysis of the Mighty Ducks. But, uh, but yeah, I'm still trying to get the Are, human. But tri- is the feedback coming from people who have not watched the Mighty Ducks? Uh, it's very hard to people find people who have watched the Mighty Ducks. Well, that's so, the first problem. <laughs> you're correct, but that is um, that's their loss. <laughs> maybe we just need to find the fifty other people that are watching the Mighty Ducks and attract them to the podcast <laughs> that are above the age of fourteen. <laughs> yeah, that's the other issue. We are an explicit podcast, so. Yeah. As you say, talking about a human tripod the way we are is probably human rare. tripod. 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 But yeah, I still try to get him on. Fingers crossed. And other things crossed. I guess yeah, we can from- acknowledge that Alex Smith retired from the NFL. Sad news. 
Yes, that is. What was his official reasoning? What's his official reasoning, though? Just age or club release and then just got retired? Well, I mean, he was released by the Washington football team, right? So he, after that, I think probably couldn't get. I mean, there was there were rumors that he was going to sign for the Patriots, or did they actually sign him at one moment? I guess not, but like there were rumors that he was going to sign with the Patriots. But I mean, probably just looked at the landscape and realized there's no space for him, and he's made his contract was fully guaranteed, right, with Washington. So he made a nice, nice chunk of money. Yeah. Not that he the fact that he's in- come out of that. The fact that he's come out of that, like after everything, and he's come out of that being able to retire in the way where it's just like on his own terms and stuff like yeah. that is pretty, is seriously uh, commendable. Yeah, and that's yeah, probably he's... the thing too. He probably feels like he proved a point and that he can retire knowing that he kind of gave his all, which I guess that's the real question is, is one of the quarterbacks that's about to come into the league, does he have the same mentality as Alex Smith with Trevor Lawrence? fight back from nearly having his leg amputated would trevor lawrence fight back from having a sprained ankle that's uh that's the question that a lot of nfl teams and scouts and gms might be asking themselves right now so what's he officially said he's basically said like football isn't my life um i'm paraphrasing but he's basically said like it's not my everything it's not my be all and end all but obviously he's saying look don't get me wrong i love football i play it you know but it's well, like i so he did a cover story for Sports Illustrated. The part that's getting the fans in a tizzy is that he said, it's hard to explain that because I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do and it's really important to me, but I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me and I'm trying to prove everybody wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. And I think people mistake that for being a competitor. I think that's unhealthy to a certain extent, just as always thinking that you've got to prove somebody wrong. You've got to do more. You've got to do better. I don't have an issue with that because I think he's being honest. I, I think there are people out there and I, and those are the type of people that annoy me that are always, you know, everyone's out to get me. Everyone's against me. I've got to prove um, everyone wrong. Uh, Who does Trevor Lawrence have who does Trevor Lawrence have to prove wrong? He's been the Frank, greatest at his position. Yes. Frank, who do you love in the NFL? Patrick Mahomes. And who did you love before Patrick Mahomes? Certain Mr. Tom Brady. Tom Brady has a chip on his shoulder bigger than the universe. I mean, he's someone who's yeah, career, but, he's made a career out of proving people wrong, like creating yeah, but he, fake enemies almost. Exactly. And you're right. He does. But he has a legitimate chip on his shoulder. He wasn't a great quarterback in college. He wasn't a four-year starter at his college. He wasn't the first draft pick. He wasn't the highest rated high school player. I think all Trevor Lawrence is saying here is, hey, listen, I've been really good at this. And everyone has been super encouraging. And no one said like, hey, you see that guy? He sucks. He's never going to make it. No one's ever said that about Trevor. When Trevor Lawrence was 12 years old, people were saying he's going to be the next great quarterback in the NFL. So I think he's just being honest and saying that, listen, I'm not going to make up some fake reasoning for why I have to prove everyone wrong because that's not there. I think that's different from saying that you don't want to win. I think that's a very different thing. I'm sure he wants to win and he wants to be the best he can be. But I think that's different than saying I have to prove people wrong. 
I, so I, I agree with what you're saying is correct. However, I think that the common thread that connects a lot of athletes who achieve, who hit the, the elite of the elite, I think are driven by the concept of consistently and constantly proving people wrong to the degree that they manufacture things that they have to prove people wrong over. I mean, if for anyone to even watch, like if you watch the last dance with them, you know, like that was Michael Jordan's mentality. He had to go into a game wanting to prove, like to shove it down your throat. Even if going into the game, you're like, hey, MJ, you're the greatest, like such an honor to play against you. And he's you know, like, he would then have to create a reason why I have to destroy Frank Duca right now. Like I have to, like Frank Duca is my enemy and I've got to like, and you're right. Trevor Lawrence, probably super healthy approach, right mentality, probably going to have a nice long life and career and everyone around him be happy no matter what happens on the football field because he'll probably have to be able to rationalize that he's made a nice living and had an incredible life and incredible experiences. The question would be is, is that mentality that he has going to be able to drag him to the level that people are expecting him to get to? And most importantly, that in a sense, the team that drafts, drafts him number one overall is paying for him to get to and paying the price of wanting a quarterback that wants to achieve all that. And I don't think football has to be your life. I don't think a sport has to be your life for you to be successful, but I would be mildly concerned by those comments. And not just because they came from him, also came from his dad, also came from his high school coach. Like the high school coach is the most concerning one of all of them. I think that was the one where he said, if he stopped playing football tomorrow, he wouldn't care or something yeah. like something along. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing that, but that was yeah. the high school coach one. That's the most worrying. And, and like I said, I think he said healthy and he is probably going to be a success no matter what. But I think you also have to realize when you're Trevor Lawrence is like, I'm about to step into a different universe here. Like, yeah, I was great in high school. Yeah. I was great in college, but now I'm going to step into a league where everyone was great in high school. Everyone was great in college. There were guys who were drafted number one overall in the league who aren't in the league three years later. Like this isn't like what I did at 15 doesn't matter anymore. And there's going to be a lot of guys who want my job and who are going to work hard every single day to beat me and to take it from me. And like that to me, that would worry me. It's a little bit. I just find it a little bit strange to say stuff like that because now everything is just going to be amplified in what he says. And he must've been told this by PR, by every, you know, I imagine going into the NFL, people have training on how to speak to the media and how to address them and stuff like that. It just seems weird. Was it nine days before the draft? Yeah. Say, would, let's just say two weeks. That for... You would do anything to kind of doubt anything to do with your ability or talent. Yeah. Also, or Sam, your, oh, sorry, you, not your talent, but maybe like your dedication or commitment. Yeah, your, your mentality. Sam, you and I were speaking about this too before we started recording. Like, he's fundamentally in a or has been in like a three or four month job interview process. And this is a little bit like sitting down for a job interview and someone saying, like, So, how much do you want this job? And you're being like, To be honest, yeah, I want it, but I could take it or leave it. Life will be okay, even if I don't get this. Like, you know what? Life's all right. Like, it'll still be, 
Would it be a blow? Sure, but you know what? There'll be something else out there. I'll still find a way to make myself happy. This isn't the be-all and end-all. And the guy sitting across the table from you, or girl, thinking, I guess everything he said just now is technically accurate, and I don't want him to think that he's like, the world is over if I don't give him this job, but it would be nice to feel as if, at least in this moment in time, yeah. it's the most important thing to him because he's trying to get the job right now. Yeah. See, but I, th- I, I think you're, oh, I think that's overstretching what he's saying is all uh, what I'm saying is I think that's not really what he's saying. I think what he's saying is he can be successful at being football without having to make up reasons to have to go out and be the best. And you know what? He might not have to make up a reason because when he gets drafted number one by Jacksonville, who's the worst team in the league and they go two and 14 worst, and everyone says, but... well, Maybe, yeah, you're right. The Niners are pretty bad, but... The Jets are the worst. (laughs) The Jets are the worst. Regardless. The the Jags have the number one overall pick. If he goes 2-14 and his first year, people are going to start doubting him, and then he's going to have that chip on his shoulder to prove prove people wrong. I mean, so he's going to have a natural chip. I think he's just saying that he can find other ways to be successful at a sport without having to try and put this fake motivation that... And you know what? At least I respect him for being honest. Because I think it's really annoying when you have people who fake that and be like, oh, like so-and-so in 2004 in a local interview said I wasn't going to make it. And I had to prove him wrong. Like, yeah, did really? Is, is that the reason? It's, no, it's 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 better than faking it. But my question is, do you have to do you have to have it to really be the best? Do you have to have it? Because, like, I don't think I can think of a lot of professional athletes who made it who are really the best of the best who didn't have that kind of gene in them where it was like constantly them against the world. Like, I think that's the thing that motivates you when you've got a huge contract and you've already won and you've already proven yourself. That's what makes you get out of bed at four in the morning to go and do the work you did when no one knew who you were. And like, if you don't have that, you're not going to have 15 years of elite quarterback play. And more importantly too, I think the other issue with this comment is like the quarterback's a team leader. Like you are supposed to lead that team and inspire that team. And it's one thing to say like, I'm all right without football, but you might have some guy like struggling to make the team or who like doesn't pull his weight and you got to sit them down and talk to them and be like, Hey man, you need to work harder. It's like, do I? Cause you told sports illustrated that we don't need to be motivated by other people who doubt us. Right. Like, I don't need that. Like I'm here in the NFL. I've always been good. My crew, I got my contract. Life's okay. You know, like if I win great, if I lose, who cares? Right. You know, like Are you playing for the Jacks, Like you're taking this quite seriously. <laughs> I, I was considering it, but now I'm I mean, he, the, the fact that he had to come out and clarify his comments implies that he knows that something has been misinterpreted or misunderstood or, in hindsight, probably shouldn't have said what he did. So obviously he's now come out and said, like, I just want to win. I love this game more than anyone else. It suddenly seems overly competitive if anything. <laughs> like well, it's almost I'm, like gone the other way. So it almost looks flip, more unrealistic. He should flip right? now. He should go, yeah. the thing that motivates me is the dumb stuff that Trevor Lawrence says. That's what motivates <laughs> me to be the best football player. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, a group of people who didn't seem to mind too much are the Jacksonville Jaguar fans, because in one of the continually annoying kind of sports fan things is he got married over the weekend and they created a GoFundMe to buy him a wedding gift. 
because that's what the number one draft pick needs is random fans buying them wedding they, gifts. How much? How much did they raise? So it was a le- it, I've I've seen the figure. No, I haven't so seen. So originally, figure. okay, originally it was as a joke to buy them a Revolution Insta Glow smart toaster for three hundred dollars. Now, let me just be, be clear. This this toaster is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. As a side note, it has like a touch screen with like an with like a screen on it, and you like you swipe across with pictures of what you want. Because now apparently people don't know the word toast means toast and bagel means bagel. They actually have the picture, and you swipe through and choose the picture of the food you're putting in the toaster. Side note: They ended up raising, I believe um 20 no eleven thousand two hundred dollars oh my god i would have just got him a live jaguar how do you can i ask a question <laughs> like not that i'm encouraging people to pull off scams like this but like how do they prove that they spend all that money on a present for trevor lawrence well they the guy who started it said he's going to put it all into the donation of trevor lawrence's choice and then okay trevor lawrence that and his wife then said, Thank you so much. We'll actually put in another 20,000 of whatever the one is that we choose. Okay, so everyone looks instead, good. instead of actually giving the money back to the people who donated it. <laughs> Look, if you're dumb enough to want to give a fire <laughs> wedding present to for a future multi millionaire who you don't know, then you deserve to just have some money taken from you. Now, here's my question if you throw in let's say $5 as a joke, be like, Oh yeah, I threw in five bucks for Trevor Lawrence as a, for like a wedding gift. Is that still bad? Yes. Yeah. The only way that would be okay is if like you did it as a small group and you're actually going to get something that was funny and you figured out how to do that. That could, could be mildly amusing. Or but, if Trevor Lawrence had a choice in where he was going, you were like, okay, well, oh. if we put some money in, maybe he'll love the community and he'll love to you're see trying what to we're win doing him over. Yeah. If you're trying to win him over. Yeah. Whereas he doesn't get a say in this. Like he's going to Jacksonville. What they should so do is they weird. should get him they should get him a t-shirt with a chip on the left shoulder of the t-shirt and send maybe that to sh- him and say, Now maybe, you've got a chip on your shoulder. Come maybe to we Jacksonville. Should do. Maybe the big chill podcast should send him a present. I like it. Now this is as our Occasionally, we have maybe to wrap things up. We have our like food-related topic, our more light-hearted topic of the week, and I have one for you because, obviously, during the pandemic, I have been ordering food for delivery like more than I would have previously because we would have gone out to dinner or whatever. And now, especially with the curfew here, that's not possible. So, if you don't want food cooked at home, it's coming through a delivery app. Especially as like. The concept of delivery isn't as established here as it maybe is in the US. So the idea of like actually calling up a place and them delivering it to you personally doesn't really happen. Whereas that could happen in the US at a lot of places with the exception of like Pizza Hut or Domino's or whatever. Like you have to go through Uber Eats or Deliveroo or whatever. And what I found myself there is like not being particularly good at tipping the delivery drivers. And like normally... As someone who worked in the service industry for a long time, pretty big on tipping. And that got me thinking, like, do you always tip your delivery driver? Do you, what percentage 
do you tip them? And then also, this is more for Sam, I guess, than Frank, because like the concept of tipping in the U.S. very different. But Sam at a bar or restaurant, how frequently do you tip, and how much do you tip? So before Sam goes, let me start because I'll just give the general rule. Obviously, in the states, so if I order a pizza to be delivered, I'll usually give either five dollars or about 20%, whatever it comes out to more. Usually it's five, because if we just order like a pizza and wings or something like that, it's like 20 bucks. I usually give five for the delivery driver. If we go to a restaurant, it's always 20% is like the standard. But the question is for the Uber mm. Eats and stuff like that. So I don't get Uber Eats ever delivered, but you can't put the tip directly on the Uber Eats. Can now, you? now you can, yeah. So now you you can. Can. Okay. When, when they deliver, but now you have to remember to like, it doesn't prompt you very well so like either you can do it before they deliver which i find to which be is weird. strange that's it's strange like, this guy might piss on my food like why am i why am i going to deliver it before it arrives and but then remembering to tip them after they deliver like i don't really usually what happens is i open the app then like nine days later when i'm ordering something else. oh and it says oh. please review yeah, oh it's so like, it's like you tip like you would like an uber after. yes yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. And because then I'm always, I'm always kind of skeptical. Like, do they really get all the money? How quickly do they get the money? Like, I don't really trust Uber on that aspect. But then also at the same time, a during the pandemic, now they like when they deliver, often they just like leave it outside your door, and then you like open your door when they're gone, and the food's there. Or like, obviously they're kind of doing it from like a distance, of hanging to you. So like handing them cash back seems kind of weird. I also just don't have a lot of cash on me uh, during the pandemic because yeah. like not really going out and I definitely don't have like change laying around quite as much. See, because the other thing too, is um, that obviously I think both of you wouldn't do normally. Anyway, we order food and pick it up a lot now because we're not going into the restaurant, but we'll still just, we'll just go to the restaurant and grab it. I, you always tip then as well. Like we'll st- I'll still tip like 20% if I'm picking up food, especially now, because I mean, there's people that's kind of crazy that are, to me. Anyway. Bar- I know. Yeah, t- I, I, know I know it is, goes- but it's, it's I- the standard. Right. And especially yeah, I think now more than ever, because they're barely able to work anyway. And they're cutting the amount of people that are there. But I have a friend who every once in a while gives me Uber Eats vouchers. And on there, you can't tip them. The people that you're getting it from, at least I don't see it, it doesn't pop up anywhere. So I always feel bad when I order through Uber Eats because I can't tip the people. I just walk in and grab the food and leave. And I feel like they're like, oh, that jerk. He could have went on our website instead and left us a tip. But instead, he did it through Uber Eats, who overcharges anyway, because it's more expensive than if you went directly. Yeah. So, Sam, what's your tipping policy? Uh, I, don't, I don't tip deliveries. I, I usually Ever. find the, I, so, I usually find the experience extremely frustrating. In the so, so you sp- speaking because like I would say I almost never tip Uber Eats or Deliveroo, but if yeah. I was ordering, and now actually even when I order like I haven't ordered Pizza Hut or Domino's or anything in probably like two three years, but even when I did that last time, you had to like pay through their app or pay on their website. But whenever I deliver, have something delivered and it would pay in cash. To me, I would always tip because for starters, if it's not a round number, I'm not asking you. Yeah. To if it's like... cash, yes. But if it's an exact amount, uh, I don't tip extra. That said, in a restaurant, 
99 times out of 100, they're going to add the service charge. And they do it in that not sneaky way because, you know, like I've oh, seen... This is a real, real anti-tippers conspiracy theory no, coming out here. It's one of those ones where they add the option of service charge. And then you have to be that bastard that's like, excuse me, could you take this off the bill? And that's just a bad look. <laughs> like no one wants to do that. So obviously it's quite sneaky, I guess, on their side, just to add optional, make the total what it is. So you, if you want to get through it, you have to go through a lot of pain to be like, oh, so I have to deduct this like 10, 15% from the total amount. Then we have to split that. It's just a bad look. So it's not that I wouldn't do it anyway, but it is a bad look if you don't. I tip at restaurants. I don't tip delivery. Bars, I so rarely pay in cash that again, it kind of has that problem of like, if you have like a 16 pound round and you're like, look, just put 20 or buy one for yourself or something like that. You do worry that when it goes through a card machine, how much of it they see. I do worry about it with service charge as well. Like if you pay on card, you're relying on the company giving that money back to people in tips. And I'm not sure I trust that. So usually, that's super before the, but I, I I know my dad does it. He's got like a, a good system to do it. But I I know to a lot steal, of people to in steal the service tips industry. from his from oh yeah steal tips it's, from his it's, workers. It's foolproof. It's foolproof. Sixty percent service charge. <laughs> it's really good service. Yeah, but yeah, I don't. I tip people it's, in person, not not delivery drivers. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel bad because I know, like, especially right being in Europe, um, I know that people in bars and restaurants they're earning like a legitimate minimum wage. It's not like the U.S. where someone like, is surviving on tips. Like, you're supposed to be getting paid in a restaurant or in a bar enough fundamentally to live on. Whereas in the U.S., you need the tip to put your salary into that amount. Um, I think the one exception to that probably in terms of people I interact with is probably like Uber Eats delivery drivers. And they're the one people I'm not tipping. So like, it's the one time where really ethically I should be tipping them. Um, I also find myself being strangely judgmental because like sometimes they come by bicycle, at which point I'm like mildly impressed. I'm like, oh, that's some effort. And then the guy will come by car and I'm like, nah, he's a lazy asshole. Like he's just drove my food here. Like I don't, but he got it quicker. So shouldn't he get yeah, a better kind of, tip? Doesn't what matter. kind of psychopath drives to my yeah, house? I want to see some guys. Do. Yeah. I give a bigger tip if they've got like two flat tires and stuff that I just really, really appreciate it. Do you give them the flat tires as well? Like when they're leaving, it's like, here's a fiver tip. And then you shoot. The that's my tip. Out. Just a nail into the into the into the tire. That's that's it. But yeah, no, it's always interesting to me. I also found it like when I worked in the service industry. Although I kind of like hate using that term, but like I worked with a lot of people who got offended when they weren't tipped, or like were very judgmental about the amount that people tipped. That always really bothered me. Um, and not, again, not being in the U.S., like very different in the U.S. But here, it was always like someone's tipped you. It's nice sometimes people would be a little bit insulting. Like if someone did tip you like five cents, um, like there's two trains of thought there. One is like, if every one of my customers tipped me five cents, I probably would make more tips by the end of the night than if I just had regular tipping. <laughs> but at the same time, it's so insulting to be like, this must be meaningful for you. Here's five cents. But as you like slowly put it into their hand as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've told people to take it back. Um, so I have turned down tips 
but uh but yeah no i i and i do find it especially i found in you know like in people in france sometimes have been like they've seen the 20 percent in the u.s and they see it on tv shows and in movies and they see discussions about it and then i like sometimes we'll speak to some of my friends who are bartenders and stuff and they almost have applied that same 20 percent rule here and it's like well a you're paid a decent salary often way over minimum wage so sometimes you're earning more than the guy who's buying the drink from you so you need to factor that in and drinks are way more expensive no but you know what i mean like i've had friends who are on legitimately much much more than minimum wage here and then you're buying a seven eight nine euro drink so the equivalent of like 12 13 dollars and they're like throwing another two dollars on there come on like it's like you're asking that guy to pay you two hours of his wage to buy that beer like that seems a little harsh and you're not in some fancy expensive place where it's like more for you it's like you're just in the standard like that's just the standard price of a drink but yeah that's our i guess that's our food talk for the week soup juice will return at a later date yeah i almost went to popeyes yesterday and then decided against it because i'm really just waiting for you two to come visit so we can do it together wow that's quite some patience there we can and, and and again, I guess this is an opportunity when we do that. We can we can like mukbang or whatever it's called, right? Where you like I eat don't know tons what of food. That on, word means. It's like when you eat tons of food on camera. Like it's a, like they film themselves eat a lot. I think it's called mukbanging. I think. Okay. Oh, okay. Like that, Different definition I Google of that, mukbanging. Do I have <laughs> to do? Do I have to do private browsing? To no, no. That? I think go <laughs> try it out. See if I'm right. I think it's M U K B A N G. I think. Think. That sounds a little different to what you're saying. <laughs> what is? How does it sound different? I think it's mukbang. Right. Or muk, okay. No, mukbang. no, no. It's, it's an online audio-visual broadcast in which the host consumes various quantities of food while interacting with the audience. There you go. And so I just thought that was an opportunity to say that when we do ma- eventually make that trip to the U.S. and we do eventually mukbang together, we can <laughs> people to make sure mukbang you don't miss out. <laughs> to make sure you don't miss out on the mukbanging. You need to subscribe <laughs> to the Big Chill Podcast on YouTube. For sure. I, I mean, the other reason I obviously didn't want to do it is because when I do eat this Popeye's chicken sandwich, I also want to be able to eat the others in a very similar time frame. And that wasn't going to happen. So I didn't just want to just have one and then wait a few weeks for the other. A lot of things could change in those few weeks. I mean, your taste buds turn over. Who knows? You could lose your football club. <laughs> football club. You can boycott your football club. Yeah. RIP. Well, that I think we should call it a day. Yep. Talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio. <laughs>